the Romans who did, did not care about the well-being of the people whatsoever, and they were desperately longing for a savior. And here comes this Jesus figure driving in on a donkey. And it's, it, for, for many of them, it was maybe, I don't know about you, but that's not necessarily ideal in the sense of looking at a king. Because if you know how the Pharisees traveled from one place to another, that was always a chariot. And in this chariot, they had like curtains, they were eating fruit as they were traveling. It was horses, you know, uh, that they w went from place to place. So their idea was not a donkey. That was not even close to their idea. And that takes me to my first point, and that's Jesus fulfilling prophecy. We see in Zechariah 9 verse 9, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now let me take you back just to this prophecy. This prophecy exa happened exactly 550 years before Palm Sunday, as, as we know it today. So 550 years before the event happening where Jesus rode in with a donkey, Zechariah the prophet already saw this in a vision that God will be coming humbly on a donkey, mounted on a donkey, on a colt and the foal of a donkey. And isn't it precious that it says, behold, your king is coming to you. Where did you see that a king is coming to you? Isn't it amazing as it takes us back to just, just David's Old Testament sayings where he was saying that who, who am I that he is mindful of me? And let's take it a step further. He's coming to me. The king is coming to me. He left his holy place to come to me. But the Pharisees, if you think about the other side of the spectrum, the Pharisees had unlimited access to these scriptures and writings. And this prophecy of Zechariah was only one of many other prophecies fulfilled during this time. If you think about the, the privilege that the, the Pharisees would have had, they would have go, gone into their archives, they would have taken out the book of Zechariah, they would have had these scriptures on hand. They can read it at any time as they wish. The, the ordinary person out there couldn't read it any time. They had to wait for it to be read in the temple. So get this. They had all the scriptures, they had everything telling them about this coming Messiah, yet when he was in front of their faces, they missed him completely. See, the ordinary people who believed, who saw the miracles, who saw the healings, they weren't exempt from seeing it. The Pharisees were there as well. They saw the healings, they saw the miracles, they saw all of the miraculous stuff happening, and yet... Having all the scriptures, all the knowledge, everything to their ability, they missed Jesus. And then sometimes I think about us Christians, having the Bible to our disposal. Anytime, of any day, in any space, and yet we forsake to spend time with God. Yet we miss the beauty of what God wants to share with us in the scriptures. We have the ability to enter the presence of God at any given time in our lives, at any space, in any place that we find ourselves in. Yet, we do not seek God's presence. We find so many things that we slot into our schedule and slot into our to-do list 
and we miss it ourselves. And I had to ask myself the question, am I not maybe displaying some Pharisee-like trades in my own life? Am I not missing some of the scripture, this value that the moment things go bad with me, it's almost like God becomes distant. And not distant because he went away, I did. I turned around and walked away. I was not willing to wait for God to answer because I'm impatient, very impatient. If God does not want to answer the following day, I do my own thing and I make my own plans. And yet I have the scriptures to my disposal and I ask myself this, that, that question. This takes me to my next point. The, the triumphal entry is also what it's called. It's Palm Sunday, but it's also the triumphal em, uh, entry as prophesied. And we see it in Luke 19, verse 28 to 40. And it's a, it's a long uh, scripture, but bear with me. It says, when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to, to, to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village in front of you, where, in front of you where on entering you will find a colt tied, a donkey on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to him, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus. It's funny how the owner said, okay, it's fine. <laughs> you know, take, take the donkey. All right, just bring it back, okay? Um, take it for a valor when you, oh, I'm just joking. Um, but the reality is that there's not, there's not terms and conditions connected to it. He just says, go, fetch it, bring it to me. And that's exactly what happened. And then it says, and they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road and as he was drawing near, already on the way down to the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Isn't it a special, just a special scripture? If you, if you take it and you just dissect it a little bit, a donkey in that, in that time or that age symbolized peace or peaceful intentions. He's not coming with military conquest. He's not coming with force or by force. He's coming with peace and peaceful intentions. What a special concept. And the palm branches symbolizes triumph or victory. And you'll know, obviously, in the, in, in the past or in the scriptures, every time there was a victory in war or victory over whatever the case may be, there was palms involved where they were waving it around and it was a joyous celebration and there was a victory or triumph that happened. But here's the reality. The Jews came up with their own ide ideologies about what the Messiah would look like and act like. They envisioned a savior or a king like figure that will conquer over the enemies by means of military conquests and then to rule as the king of the Jews forevermore. Yet, none of these ideologies can be found in the scriptures. Isn't that interesting? All these 
preconceived ideas of what, what this coming Messiah would look like was set up by themselves. The idea that he will come and he will conquer the Romans and the Jews will all of a sudden be, you know, held up high and they were praised and, 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 and this coming Messiah would be worshipped and praised forevermore. And, and can you see the exclusion in their thinking as well? It was for the Jews alone. That is what their thoughts were, were thinking, is the fact that this military conquest person would have come and literally just kill everyone and they would be held victorious and they would just worship forevermore this king. But the reality is the very ones who were supposed to recognize Jesus from the very start were the ones missing out. Is Jesus trying to tell me something now? Um, <laughs> anyway, but the very ones who were supposed to recognize Jesus from the start were the ones missing him. And I, I had to ask myself this question while reading this passage. If Jesus sat in the midst of us or walked into the service tonight, would we recognize him? Or would we judge his appearance, his demeanor, his character, his talking, his speech, Whatever the case may be, would we accept him into the service? Would we make a way for him? But let's take it a step further. What if Jesus rode, rode in with a donkey tonight? What would you think? What would go through your mind if he, if he came through, the, through this, let's say, hallway or hall with a, with a donkey? In my head, he should come in like a Rolls Royce or a Bentley or at least, you know. <laughs> That's probably what we're thinking. That's probably what goes through our heads is when we think about the worship of, of Jesus. And this takes me to my next point. Jesus is worthy to be praised. See, Jesus is not worthy of praise because we deem him worthy to be praised. He is worthy because he is the one and only son of God sitting on the right hand of God, the father, and we can't change that whatsoever. He is worthy to be praised because he is God. And the reality is whether we like it or not, he will still remain God, whether you believe in him or not. And this takes you to the scripture, John 3, verse 17 to 21. And it says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the son of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. And then I think about our own lives. Are we displaying the light to the people around us? Are we approachable in the sense that we, we can, people can see Jesus within your own life? They, it's Jesus is revealed in and through your life. Or is it the other way around where people are appalled or appalled by, by your behavior, or appalled by your doing or your works? And then I had to ask myself this question. Who is sitting on the throne of my heart? 
how do I make my decisions daily? Is it my decisions in a space where I want to honor God with my life or is it I want to honor myself? I want to do what's best for me, my comfort, my approval, my significance, my control. I just want control over everything in my life. Who is sitting on the throne of my heart and is Jesus still worthy of praise tonight for you? And I want to make it very practical for us tonight. Band, I want to call you up. That last song that we did, Worthy of Praise. Sorry, guys, that I didn't prep you for this. But uh, I know you, can, you will do well. Is Jesus still worthy of praise? I want to end with a specific quote this night, uh, tonight about, uh, from Kay Arthur. He says the following. He says, if you not, do not plan to live the Christian life totally committed to knowing your God, and to walking in obedience to him, then don't begin. For this is what Christianity is all about. It is a change of citizenship, a change of governance, a change of allegiance. And if you have no intention of letting Christ rule your life, then forget Christianity. It is not for you. I know it's very hard hearing those words, but the reality is tonight, I wanna challenge you by who is sitting on the throne of your heart? Who is really sitting on the throne of your heart. And maybe we need to have an introspection moment because if Palm Sunday had to happen with us, would we recognize Jesus? And as we sing this song and as we go into it, I want us all to really reflect on these words. Is Jesus still on the throne of your heart? Thanks, band. Let's just stand together. Let's just submit this moment to the King. It was my cross you bore that I could live. shame is gone. I stand amazed in your love undeniable, your grace. Your grace goes on and on, and I will sing of your goodness forevermore. Worthy is your name. Jesus. 
time. Let's just lift up our praises to Him tonight. Let's lift up our voices. Let's lift up a song to Him. Let's just declare that He is worthy to be praised, that He is seated on the throne, that He is King of kings and Lord of lords.
quickly just ask that we all just close our eyes just for a moment. If you know tonight that there was something else sitting on the throne of your heart, I can't see a thing. But if you, if, if that is you, won't you just do, just as we do the song again, just make a public declaration by going onto your knees and saying, Lord, I want nothing on the throne of my heart but you. If, if I only have you, that is enough. I don't want anything else, Lord. As we do this song, would you, would you just take the vulnerability moment and say, Lord, I want to repent. If I've put anything else on the throne, whether it's my time, my schedule, my work, my family, my friends, my husband, my wife, whatever the case may be, maybe you have kids, whatever that thing is, would you just surrender it all to Christ tonight? Thanks, Father. Family, I just wanted to share in the Bible, the Hebrew word for bowing down is barak. It means to bow down, to kneel before the Lord, to prostrate yourself before Him in reverence and in awe and in adoration. It's a spontaneous and natural response to worship. And I just wanted to encourage you, let's just kneel before the Lord tonight as a, as a physical act of worship.
are seated on the throne. You are holy, you are worthy of all our, our, our honor, worthy of all our praise, worthy of us surrendering our lives to you, worthy of us dedicating our entire beings to you. We honor you, we praise you, we worship you. In your name we just we pray. Amen. Amen.